Let me get my thing going. So like I said, Luke chapter 21 is the prophetic chapter in Luke. There's a lot here in, in this chapter. And I've been trying to go through it carefully. I've been trying to go through it carefully. And... Um, and I'm trying not to become um, confusing because sometimes folks, when they study prophecy, when they look at these things, uh, it, it, can ha- it can be somewhat confusing because there's so many different things that play into uh, what we know of as the end times. And there's so many things out there. So I'm trying to be very, very careful. That's why I'm putting up these timelines and things. Just to, I don't know about you, but I like a visual. I like to see a visual thing that helps... It helps me uh, to, to kind of get a grasp of things. Um, so uh, to start off, as you read through the chapter of Luke 21, I consider verses uh, 12 through 24 a parenthesis, if you will, in the narrative of Jesus as he's speaking to his disciples uh, concerning the signs that uh, we are to look for regarding the destruction of the temple, regarding uh, what is going on in Jerusalem and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I also believe because of the context and and what we'll look at in the study, uh, that these signs that he started off with here in uh, verses 8 all the way through 11, uh, these signs that he started off to here will continue on through the end of the times of the Gentiles. And if you were here, I think it was last week, we went through that times of the Gentiles in a little bit of detail. And uh, that will uh, continue on through the end of the times of the Gentiles. And that time of the Gentiles will end when Jesus Christ returns to the earth to establish his kingdom. Okay, uh, that's what the Daniel, or that's what Nebuchadnezzar had seen in Daniel chapter two, with the stone that was not cut out with hands crashed into the feet of the image, and the image uh, dissolved away like chaff in the wind. And so, in his answer to his disciples, because they were asking about Herod's temple, they were admiring it, and Jesus told them that not one stone shall be left upon another in regards to the temple, and this kind of set them back. So they were asking, okay, when will this happen? What's this all about? What are you talking about? And so he he was giving them uh, uh, signs uh, that was going to lead up to his second coming. And I say that because if you look at verse 27 in Luke chapter 21, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. In Luke 21, 27, he says, and then shall they see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Okay, that's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where all of this that he's talking about in Luke chapter 21 is leading up to. So there's your context. Okay, there's your context of what the what what Jesus is is talking to to his disciples. Uh, the conditions that he began with, the religious, the social, political, and the environmental, uh, all of these things are going to. St- to be in the very beginning of these times prior to his second coming. 
And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus refers to these times as the beginning of sorrows, as when a woman goes into hard labor and is getting ready to give birth to her child. That's what it's going to be like in that time that we know of as Jacob's trouble or the uh, great tribulation or, you know, that type of thing. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be uh, that uh, kind of pain and ang- anguish and anxiety upon the earth. Uh, and all of that, I believe, will begin, this is what the book of Revelations talks about, and all that, all of that stuff begins in Revelations chapter 4. Okay, now stay with me on all this. <clears throat> he says, Luke's, uh, Jesus says here in Luke, he says, but before all these things start coming to pass, that clearly is demarcating a time period prior to this time known as Jacob's Trouble. Okay, that's important to understand when you're looking through uh, Luke chapter 21. And that time period leads into what the book of Revelation begins with, Revelations chapter 4. Okay, stay with me now, because I think what Jesus is relaying to his disciples here in Luke 21, we see the parallel of that in the beginning of Revelations. All right? Uh, In the first three chapters of Revelations, who are we reading about? The churches, right? Uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. So in the first three chapters of Revelations, we are reading about the churches all the way up to the Laodicean age. As you get to chapter 4 of Revelations, the focus shifts off of the church and into this period of time known as Jacob's Trouble. And what kicks that off in in Revelations chapter 4 is when John hears a voice say, what? Come up hither. So where is John now? He's in heaven. John represents the church age. He represents the church. So what does that say to us? The church is now in heaven prior to Jacob's trouble. Prior to Jacob's trouble or what we know as the 70th week of Daniel or what we also know as as tribulation period. The parallel between Luke chapter 21 and what we see in Revelations is that John represents the church as he's called into heaven prior to the tribulation period. And as Jesus is teaching to his disciples, he says very clearly in verse 12, but before all these things. Okay? So what he's saying here, he begins off with the signs of the 70th week of Daniel. But he kind of steps back and he says, but before all these things, this is what's going to come to pass. 
So here we have a parenthesis in Jesus' narrative. Because he's getting ready to talk about the time we're living in right now. Okay, the church age. Then after he's done with that parenthesis, he picks up in verse 25 where he left off in verse 11 and again starts addressing this time period that we know of as Jacob's trouble. Are you guys with me so far? Good. You see, the true church, the body of Christ, will not experience this period we know of as the tribulation or Jacob's trouble or, the, or Daniel's 70th week. So you see, what the Lord covers from 12 to 24 is a parenthesis in his narrative. What we know of, as what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2, what we know of as the church age, or as Paul calls it, the dispensation of the grace of God. In Ephesians chapter 3, 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So this church age... I call a parenthesis in God's dealings with mankind and the Jews. This was revealed to Paul. This was hidden in the mind of God, but now it is revealed to Paul. We are living in what I would call a parenthesis in God's dealings with the Jews and with mankind, which is known as the dispensation of grace or is also known as the church age. Now, there's a lot to unpack what Paul said about in Ephesians. But like I said, what we're living in here now, it was a mystery. It was hidden in the mind of God. But now it is revealed to Paul. And this is where we're at today. We're in this parenthesis. Just like in Jesus' narrative in Luke 21, there was the parenthesis. That's where we're at today. Are you following with what I'm saying here? So far, so good? Now understand that when Jesus was speaking to his disciples here in Luke 21, he knew that his time on earth was short. Just a few days from now, he would be crucified. He knew that he would be forsaken by these very men that he was talking to. He knew he would be arrested, uh, falsely tried and charged. He knew he would be condemned. He knew he would be brought before Pontius Pilate, crucified, died and buried. He knew all of that. He knew all of that. He also knew that after his ascension, he would send uh, the Holy Spirit from the Father and that the church would be born in Acts chapter 2. He knew all that. Acts chapter 2 is right here when the church is born. That begins the parentheses that I'm talking about. Because there's an interruption between the 69th week and the 70th week, and I'll talk about that. So hang in there. (laughs) Hang in there. All that Jesus speaks about in this parenthesis, beginning from 12 to 19, if you remember, I told you, you can read about this in the book of Acts. You can also read about it in the history of the church. 
Because everything that Jesus says here is exactly what's going on today. He also speaks about the coming destruction of Jerusalem. Did that not happen? Yeah, 70 AD, Rome came and took out Jerusalem and took out the temple. Jesus also gave warning to those standing there listening to him. When you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, what did he tell them to do? Get out. Head for the hills. Which many of them did, but many of them did not. And then in verse 24, Jesus concludes this parenthesis in his narrative with a succinct history of Jerusalem. And that would what? Be trodden under the feet of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And we, we, that's why I went into such detail the last time we went to get, uh, got together. So even today, Jerusalem is trodden under the Gentiles, and this will happen all the way up to the end of the times of the Gentiles when Jesus Christ shall return to the earth and, and set up his kingdom. So far, so good? Okay. Now, in Daniel 9.26, Jesus had been, uh, Daniel had been shown by God, and he wrote, saying, The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary after the Messiah was cut off. Now, when the Messiah was cut off, what does that mean? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And what happened shortly thereafter? Jerusalem was destroyed by Rome. That's what he said in Daniel 9.26. Now I go to Daniel, because in Daniel 9.24, Daniel was told by God that 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. The 69th week ended when Jesus was crucified. The Jews had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They crucified him. So in God's prophetic timeline, in regards to Israel, the 69th week concluded with Jesus' death on the cross. Now, Daniel was told that there are 70 weeks determined for Israel. So what does that tell us? We've got one week remaining, the 70th week. How many days in a week? Seven years, seven days. So we've got seven years yet to take place. Seven years yet to take place. That's what Jacob's trouble is. It's the 70th week determined upon the people of Israel. Because the 69th week stopped when Jesus was crucified. So what we have in between the 69th week and the 70th week is a parenthesis in God's prophetic timeline with Israel. Are you with me? The 70th week will commence when the church is gone. When the church is gone.
That's what a lot of folks call an interment period. An interment period. That's just a fancy way of saying parenthesis. <laughs> That's what it is. And God revealed this to Paul. Also, if you remember Acts 15, James says that now during this time, God is calling out a people from among the Gentiles for his namesake. Now, what race or part of men make up the majority of the church today? Is it Jews or is it Gentiles? It's Gentiles. It's Gentiles. Paul also tells us that currently God has not forsaken his chosen people Israel. That's what, that's what this topic of Romans chapter 9 through 11 is all about. But he will fulfill his promise that he made with Abraham and that he also made with David. Somewhere in here. David. With Abraham he promised the land. With David he promised that there's going to be a king sitting on the throne in the land. And he said that that promise will be fulfilled to Israel as a nation. But he also says in in, uh, Daniel, uh, uh, not Daniel, I'll get these books mixed up, Romans chapter 11, concerning Israel as a nation, he says, blindness in part has happened to Israel as a nation until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now remember we talked about the fullness of the Gentiles as well, didn't we? The fullness of the Gentiles is when the very last Gentile believer steps on board the ship of salvation known as the church and we sail off into heaven. And we talked about that when we went through the times of the Gentiles. Okay, so all of this is kind of review. All right? Are you all with me so far? Here is the reason why I took the time to lay all of this out because what Jesus is getting ready to talk to uh, talk about and what we're getting ready to study here in ver- starting in verse 25 of Luke 21 what Jesus is simply doing is he's leaving off where he started and finished in verse 11 and now he's picking it back up talking about this time that we know of as Jacob's trouble he gave us the parentheses now he's back to his original topic we see the same thing in the book of Revelations we start with the churches but then the church and the person of John goes to heaven and then everything after that is all about Jacob's trouble that's what Jesus is getting ready to talk about here starting here in verse 25 he's picking up where he left off in Luke 21:11, and what he's getting ready to talk about he's talking about the conditions on the earth during that 70 week 70th week of Daniel, that time of Jacob's trouble, and I believe he's beginning to describe what will take place or what the conditions on the earth will be during the last three and a half years of that time. He's already addressed the first three and a half years about the social, political, religious, and environmental situation or condition. Now he's concluding it with how it's going to end. And it's not going to end well. What he's going to talk about starting here in verse 25 
is uh, that last period of uh, the tribulation when the Antichrist is persecuting the saints in earnest because he knows his time is short upon the earth so he's pulling out all the stops it's also that time when all of those judgments are coming down hot and heavy hot and heavy I went all through this because there are some who teach that the church will go through the tribulation that's not what the Bible teaches that's not what the Bible teaches I believe times will become difficult for the body of Christ Uh, church history teaches that the church has been persecuted ever since her inception in Acts chapter 2 that will continue until she's raptured Paul himself said all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution that's just part of the kit and caboodle of being a a Christian being a follower of Jesus Christ being in in the body of Christ but as far as the true church the body of Christ the bride of Christ that will not, they will not enter into Jacob's trouble. They will be delivered. They will be raptured. And we'll see that right here in this, in this chapter. What will go into this period of time is the apostate church. The apostate church. That apostate church is uh, pictured by the great whore or harlot of Revelation 17. She's the one who's riding on the back of the beasts. Okay? That apostate church will go into the tribulation period. But the true church, the bride of Christ, will not. The bridegroom, Jesus Christ prior to this time will come and take away his bride according to Ephesians 5.27 the glorious church not having spot or wrinkle holy and without blemish that doesn't describe the harlot of revelations does it it also uh, he also calls the church a chaste virgin in 2 Corinthians 11.12 that doesn't describe the harlot church so the true church the bride of Christ the chaste virgin shall be raptured prior to that she will not go into that she will not go into that. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. All of those talk about that snatching away or rapture or Jesus Christ coming for his bride to take him home. Take him home. I believe this is even inferred to right here in this chapter, Luke 21. Look at Luke 21, 36. He says, watch ye therefore and pray always. Is that not the admonition that Jesus gave to his church? Are we not to watch and are we not to pray? But look what he says here. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. The rapture. 
Because when the rapture of the church occurs, we will be with him in the clouds forever with our Lord. Right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's when we will receive glorified bodies. That's when we'll be with Christ. That's when the judgment seat of Christ occurs and the marriage supper of the Lamb and all of those good things take place. So I believe that Jesus even alludes to that or infers that right here in this chapter. And we'll talk a little bit about that ye may be accounted worthy when we get there. All right? So what, Je- what Jesus is getting ready to go t- into is he's getting ready to talk about that 70th week that picks up again once the church is off the scene. And he starts describing the conditions of, of that period. And when these things start to happen, the bride of Christ will already be with her bridegroom in heaven, just like John in Revelation chapter 4, and they will be safe within his house. Remember, that's what John 14, 2, he promised that he would go and prepare a place for you. That's where we're going to be. We're going to be in that place that he has prepared for us. Okay? With me so far? Okay. I know that's a lot. That's a lot. That's why I drew it out here. I'm actually glad to get this because I was so busy with her class. One of my friends, her husband is a Lutheran minister. And we got the discussion last week. He doesn't believe in the rapture. No. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah, yeah. I had a, a Diane had an uncle who was a Methodist who also didn't believe in the rapture. So there's a lot of folks out there who I believe are saved, but they're just not clear on some of this stuff. So let's take a look at verse 25, which covers this period of time known as Jacob's trouble, the 70th week. Remember, the 69th week ended with the crucifixion of Jesus. Right now, we're living in this parenthesis time known as the church age. When the rapture of church occurs, then Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel, picks up. That's what Jesus is talking about here in Luke uh, chapter 21, verse 25. All right, so we've gone through the parenthesis, starting in verse 12. Now we're into back into the 70th week. So he says here in verse 25, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth the stress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see... They see, not you see, but they see. Who are they? Those folks who are here in this 70th week of Daniel. The apostate church, the nations that are allied with the Antichrist, the 144,000, the remnant Jews who believe the 144,000, the Gentiles who believe the preaching of the 144,000. That's who he's talking about. Those folks who are living during this time. Not the church. We're already in heaven with Jesus. Chowing down. Okay? Okay. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Isaiah talks about this day. In Isaiah 13, 9 through 11, 
Isaiah says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. When you read day of the Lord, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about this period of time when Jesus is coming back. That's what he's talking about. Cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. And he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth. And the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil. And the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. And will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. That's the Antichrist and all that follow him. Now, even though Isaiah begins his prophecy here in in, uh, Isaiah 13, speaking about the Babylonian empire of Nebuchadnezzar, you read further on into this prophecy and you can't help but see that he is expanding this prophecy beyond Nebuchadnezzar's empire to a future Babylon. Does that ring a bell? Because the book of Revelations talks about a future Babylon. Revelations 14.8, And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. The great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So just as Nebuchadnezzar's empire fell in a night time, In Daniel chapter 5, so also will the future Babylon in Jacob's Jacob's trouble fall within an hour. Fall within an hour. So there's a correlation here that we must see and understand. Because if you fail to see it and understand, then you're going to be confused. And you're not going to see how these pieces fit together. The signs that Jesus speaks about here in Luke chapter 21, John would later testify in Revelations. From his vantage point in heaven, church. Revelation 6.12, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell onto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs. Now, who in the Bible is referred to as a fig tree? Israel. Not the church. Israel. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the, from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? That's a rhetorical question, because obviously no one is going to be able to stand. I mean, even in our time, men are fearful for what they see is going on up above our heads. Men are fearful. I mean, don't you hear on television every once in a while, some scientists warn about a near miss by an asteroid? Well, guess what? NASA and the European Space Agency this very day is planning what they call a preemptive strike 
toward a twin set of asteroids that they're going to try to divert the path of these asteroids that they think may hit the earth and this is supposed to take off in the year 2024 so that's what they're planning this is what they're planning what that simply is is this it's simply another attempt by mankind to control his destiny and manipulate nature without considering God in their plans we're really good at doing that we're really good at doing that Jesus talks about the stress of nations. The word distress also is translated anguish of heart in 2 Corinthians 2.4. During this period of time, there's going to be great anguish among the nations. Um, uh, they're going to seek to try to hold things together and maintain their grip upon the earth and maintain control even as it slips out of their hands. We kind of saw, we're seeing that today. I mean, we lived through the panic beginning back in February and March. This whole world was in turmoil because of a little virus that China irresponsibly let loose upon this planet. The whole world was scrambling, wringing their hands over what to do. How well did we do? Not too good. Not too good. In the book of Ezekiel, you read read the constant refrain, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. To me, that's kind of the lesson here in Jacob's trouble. Because that's always been a problem with man. Recognizing the Almighty God as Lord. The word perplexity talks about nations running out of options, running out of resources, running out of knowing how to cope with what's going to fall upon the earth. Again, we're living through a preview of that. We're living through a preview. And let me tell you something, folks. What we're living through today is just a tiny grain of sand compared to what's coming compared to one's coming man will be stripped of his resources he'll be stripped of his means and he'll find himself not knowing which way to turn it'll be so bad also talks about the sea and the roaring waves the sea and the roaring waves that pictures the nations of the of the world Isaiah 57:20 but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest whose waters cast up mire and dirt there is no peace peace saith my god to the wicked Isaiah 17:12 woe to the multitude of many people which make a noise like the noise of the seas and rushing waters The nations of the earth allied with the Antichrist will be like the crashing and churning waves, the boiling seas, like in a hurricane, as they experience this storm that's going to come upon them. 
In Revelation 13, John witnesses the beast arising out of the chaos of nations. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. You see, the inhabitants of the earth during this time are going to look toward the beast. Well, he's the one who's got to have the answers. He's the one who's going to bring about peace. He's the one who's going to bring calm to this storm. Is he? 1 Thessalonians 5.3 says, For when they shall say, Peace and safety... Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. The church has already escaped. The church has already escaped. What these inhabitants of the earth don't realize is that that beast who they look for, for hope, for the answers... He's the one who's created this whole mess in the first place. When he rebelled in heaven and said, I shall be like the most high. It's his fault this whole mess is going on in the first place. But yet that's the one that mankind during this time is going to look to for the answers. Because they hated the truth, they're going to believe a lie. They're going to believe a lie. It'll be chaotic. It'll be disastrous. It's little wonder here in verse 26 that Jesus says, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. You know, in Daniel chapter 5, King Belshazzar, it says that uh, when he saw the writing on the wall, His knees knocked together, and in a polite way it said he even soiled himself. That's what the the nations are going to be like during that time. The word fear means to be an absolute panic. The type of panic that no amount of toilet tissue purchase will help with. A type of ta- a panic that no stockpile of food and water will alleviate. The type of panic that no wearing of masks will make you immune to it. The type of panic that no purchase of guns and ammo will make secure. There's nothing they're going to be able to do about it. Nothing. You already read about the kings wanting to hide in caves. We got people trying to do that today. It's not going to help. He talks about the powers of heaven being shaken. I believe that refers to the fallen angelic hosts and the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. During this period of time, at some point, Michael the Archangel is going to boot Satan and his angels out of the second heaven and they're going to be stuck here on the surface of this planet. I don't know about you, 
But that's a terrifying thought. That's a terrifying thought. Revelations 12.12 says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. The condition on this earth at that time will be like it was in the days of Noah. When the angels of God were cohabitating with the daughters of men and all sorts of garbage was going on. Where it says that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So the way it was prior to the flood in Noah's day, we're going to have it again in the days of Jacob's trouble. And then there's going to be things happen that even Stephen King can't dream of. There came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth to have power. And they had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men for five months. And these men who were hurt, they're going to seek death, but it's not going to come to them. Talk about a nightmare. Talk about a nightmare. The best and the worst that the devil can do, he's going to unleash upon this earth. But it's going to be to no avail. To no avail. Yes, ma'am. Because there's going to be 144,000. There's going to be 144,000 who's going to be preaching the message of the kingdom. I believe they're going to be preaching, you know, uh, these signs, these plagues, these things that are happening are judgments of God. Repent, repent. Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ is returning. Repent, repent. He's going to come and establish the kingdom. So therefore, reject the enemy. They're going to. They're going, to, they're, going to, they're going to expose the Antichrist for who he is and they're going to go contrary to everything that the Antichrist is trying to do. And yes, I do believe there's going to be people who are going to believe that message at 144,000 because the Bible teaches us that a third of the Jews will survive. They'll believe that. That's that remnant. Also, there will be uh, those among the nations that will believe the 144,000 messages. They'll reject the Antichrist and they'll look. That's why, that's why you read in um, like in the Gospels, you know, Endure to the end, endure to the end. Well, there will be people during that time that believe the message of 144,000, and they will endure to the even end, even up to that point where they're going to be martyred for their faith in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Does that answer your question? So that's that. It, that's it in short, short form. But that's a good question. So Jesus's admonition to us today is to what? Watch and pray. That's, that's his admonition to the church is watch and pray. Oh, I hate that clock. Um, so that's what we need to do. In this period of time, in this parenthesis of time, especially since we're right here, we need to watch and pray. Now this is interesting. Um, the early church... The church of the apostles, the church of, you know, the, the, the apostle Paul, they were watching. They were praying because there was great expectation in the early church. 
here in this period of time of the early church, they were, they were expecting Jesus to come. Um, Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. 1 Corinthians 1.7, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20, for our conversation is in heaven from which we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies rapture, alright shall change our vile bodies Second to Timothy 4.8 henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day and not to me only but unto all them also that love is appearing and passage after passage after passage we're reading where the early church is looking for the soon return of Jesus Christ that's their hope. They're watching, they're praying, they're looking for it. The early church was in standby mode because they were waiting for their flight number to be called. But something happened. Something changed. And the church stopped watching. And the church stopped praying. And by the time of Emperor Constantine, remember I talked about him. You remember what came out of Emperor Constantine's uh, actions? A church started happening on the scene. Christendom was born. Christendom was born. And when Christendom was born, the truth of the Lord's rapturing his church and his second coming was rejected more and more as the church started focusing on the earth and creating a kingdom on earth. Believers, our citizenship is not on the earth. It's in heaven. Starting in the third century, all of a sudden that started to change. And now it was taught that our citizenship is here on earth. Here on earth. The eyes of Christendom stopped looking up, started looking on the earth, and started persecuting the true church, who always had her eyes looking up. With very few exceptions, the majority of Christendom focused on the earth rather than looking up to heaven. And the head of Christendom stopped stopped being Jesus Christ, but now was focused upon a man on earth. That's what we're living in today. That's what we're living in today. Jesus' admonition to those who are watching and praying is that when they see the beginning of these things, then he says, get ready. Your flight number is coming. Get ready. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. This is what he means by, in verse 28, for your redemption draweth nigh. In other words, he's saying when these things start lining up in the queue, right? Get ready. When these things start lining up in the queue, we know that we will soon hear the trump of the archangel, and in a twinkling of an eye, we'll be with him in heaven. We'll be with him in heaven in the clouds. 
This is what the word redemption means in this context of this passage. It means to be rescued from danger. Jacob's trouble. It means to be delivered from these perilous times. It means to escape. Remember what we read here in verse uh, 36? To escape all these things that shall come to pass. That's what it means. We'll escape from all of that. If you are a born-again, blood-washed saint of God. As the fullness of the Gentiles comes to be fulfilled. When that final soul turns to Christ then the flight number is up and we're out of here wouldn't it be great if you were the one who would lead that last soul to Christ Jesus gives to us one of those things we should be watching for. He says here in verse 30, or verse 29, he says, Your redemption draweth nigh, verse 29, and he spake to them a parable. Behold, the fig tree. Behold, the fig tree. Who is the fig tree? Israel. Israel. We teach dispensationalism in this church because that's what the Bible teaches. And we've we have the dispensation of innocence with Adam and Eve. And there was the Edenic covenant between Adam and Eve. Don't eat of the tree and things will be good. How did that go? Then we had the fall. That was the failure of this dispensation. Adam failed. Then we went into the conscience, the dispensation of conscience. The the Adamic covenant of that time was the promised seed of the woman. Who is that promised seed of the woman? Jesus Christ. This is the period of conscience. Well, we didn't do too well came the flood then comes Noah starts a dispensation of human government then we have the Noahic covenant and every time you have a rainstorm and you see a bow in the sky that's a part of that covenant that God promises not to flood the earth again because of the sin of man well what happened we have the tower and so all those languages were created and man was scattered So then we come into the dispensation of the patriarch with the Abrahamic covenant. That's where Abraham and his seed was promised the land where Jerusalem is, where all that fighting's going on. Isn't it interesting that the focus of the whole world is on that little tiny piece of real estate? Is that a coincidence? So that's the patriarchal time. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then we have the Mosaic period of time, Sinai, 
where God gives them the Ten Commandments. And what do the Jews do as they enter into this covenant? We will do all that you say. How well did that work out? Not well. Not well. On top of that was a Palestinian covenant. So this tells us that the Mosaic Covenant and the Palestinian Covenant, and I don't have time to go into detail, but these are called conditional covenants. In other words, as long as you obey, you'll stay in the land. But if you fall away, then you'll be sent away. And that's what the Palestinian Covenant is all about. God says, you guys, you obey my law, you get to stay in the land. But if you start worshiping other gods and you start disobeying my law and you start forsaking my covenant, you're going to get booted out. That's what happened in 606 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar came. Well, that's what happened with the Assyrians coming to get the ten northern tribes and then later on Nebuchadnezzar came and got the Jews out of, uh, out of Jerusalem, which started what? The times of the Gentiles when Jerusalem would be trodden underfoot. That's the period of time that we're living in right now, that times of the Gentiles. Why? Because the Jews could not and broke this covenant. I see a lot of wrinkled brows. Because I'm leaving out a lot of detail because of the time. Then we have the end of the 69th week with Jesus dying on the cross. And here we are now. In this parenthesis of time, known as the church age or the age of grace. I personally believe we're right about there. We're pretty, pretty close to when Jesus is going to say, Bride, come to the home that I have prepared for you. When that happens, then... God's prophetic timeline with Israel will kick in again and that 70th week that are determined upon the Jews will begin known as Jacob's trouble and that's what we just talked about here in this lesson and Jesus gives to us a sign hey when that fig tree shows up it's close. 1948 of May, the fig tree showed up. And that'll be the topic of our next lesson when we meet next Sunday, Lord willing. Okay? All right, so let's close in prayer, and then uh, we'll be dismissed. Lord God in heaven, we thank you, Father, for your...